But um, uh, this evening we're gonna we're gonna jump in. It's still still in our area of heavy topics. May I say, um, this is a heavy topic for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one that is obvious is in talking about uh, end times. It uh, it's a heavy topic because for some it's rejoicing, for others it's kind of fearful. Um, there, are, there are some who can't wait for the Lord to come back and get us out of here, which I, I, I'm, I'm with him on that one. Um, and yet for others, the, the more they hear about it, the more it reminds them of loved ones that they know are lost. And that doesn't come with rejoicing. That comes with some great sorrow. Um, and, and no matter how hard you try sometimes, no matter how hard you try to reach them, no matter how, how much you try to, and, and the urgency you put behind it, it just, uh, for some, it just seems to be, really, I just don't care. And that's heartbreaking. When, when you can see what's happening, you see what's going on, and when you know what the Bible has to say about what God has already prescribed to happen, it, it is a, it's a sorrowful thing to see some people take it so lightly when they don't know where they're going to spend eternity. One thing we do know is, and it's been this way for a long time, preachers have preached it for a long time, but may I say, though preachers have preached, the Lord's coming back any moment for a long time, um, never has it been as it is in the days we have today. Um, there are more things going on today, literally today, <laughs> uh, since yesterday, uh, more things going on that make you go, hmm, uh, maybe it is right on the threshold of the church being caught out of here. You know, maybe we don't have another month left. Maybe we'll never even get to our tent revival. Have you thought about it? You say, oh, the preacher's been saying that for a long time. Yeah. But there have been things happened over the last year, year and a half that have never before been seen by anyone in generations of mankind uh, because it is predicted in God's word and we're starting to see things taking place leading up to the next and, and uh, the major event on the docket next for um, God's prophecy, which is the, the, the rapture. Rapture, again, I just, uh, we're going to deal with rapture later, later, but the rapture, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. People throw a fit over that. That's fine. If you want to call it, okay, fine, let's call it biblical. Uh, the, 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 the catching up is coming, all right? The caught up is on the way. And, um, but that, that is what, uh, that is what rapture is talking about, the time when there is a great catching up. Jesus receives unto himself that which belonged to him. And, uh, but we'll deal with the rapture itself at a, uh, at a later time. It's going to be our first zoom in, um, of, of focus. But right now I want to, I want to give you tonight the overall chronology, the, the, Easy, quick picture of, uh, of what the Bible tells us is to come. Now, uh, take your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 1. 
And uh, I, we're actually going to read the entire chapter, but not right this minute. I'll go back and, and, and read some more. Um, I, I'm going to, I put up there verse 12 to verse 20. I'm not going to read all those. I will just, I'll, I'll, I'm going to read verse 19. Um, mm, no, I'm going to read verse 18 and 19. Okay, I'll read verse 18 and 19. And that's where we'll stop right now. And then we'll go back. We're going to read the entire chapter in a moment. But uh, when, you're, when you're dealing with the book of Revelation, I want you to understand, um, I have listened to hours upon hours upon hours of um, teaching and preaching. Uh, I have scoured many places. Um, if you, it's one of those things, if you go looking on the internet for end time chronology, be careful. There is a lot of weird stuff out there. There's some stuff out there. I can't figure out where they found it in the Bible because it just doesn't, it doesn't follow any pattern of what the Bible teaches. It's like man took the idea of end times, got a hold of, uh, of Hollywood and said, what do y'all think it is? And then wrote it down. Um, there's some stuff out there that's just absolutely insane. Uh, and, and there's so much information. I will tell you this. Uh, there are, are three main views. There's a few others here and there, but there are three top main views of the end time chronology, especially dealing with rapture time frame. Uh, but as a whole, there, there are, and I'm trying to be confusing, I just want you to kind of understand, there is, um, there, there's um, a pre and post, okay? There's a millennialist. They don't believe the, the millennium. A means none, not going to happen. Okay, the all millennials believe that, that, that the millennium, it, it doesn't happen the way it's described. It's all allegorical. Uh, it's all just a, a storyline to kind of give you an idea, but it's not literal. Uh, they don't believe that in a literal millennium. They actually believe that everything has already, you know, it's, it's all part of the millennium. Uh, we're in it now to that degree. Um, so all millennials believe that there is no actual true 1,000-year millennial reign. Um, uh, post-millennialists believe that um, it, it's everything, all the major stuff, everything happens uh, after the millennium as a whole. Post-millennialists believe that uh, the Bible, they believe the Bible teaches that the church actually gains ground and the church um, pushes through and begins to reach and begins to evangelize. And the, the church turns the world upside down to the point where things get better and better and better and better and better. And the Lord comes back because his, 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 you know, his people are ready. Um, that's post-millennial, meaning that we're going to go, we, we are creating the millennial uh, kingdom now as we are making things better and better. The church is the one that makes the millennium the kind of reign that the Bible describes. Uh, we, we give God his kingdom through the work, and then when it's ready, he comes for it. Uh, that's post-millennial uh, view, and, uh, and that would mean also that right now, we're technically right now in the millennium uh, and the church is actually producing a better and better and better earth. Does anybody see that happening? Okay. Um, and, and so ultimately, again, those two views are, are, in my personal opinion, and biblically, I believe, way off. Uh, then there's the premillennial view, which is the meaning that all these things happen, the tribulation, all this happens before Christ sets foot on earth and he brings into 
uh, in, into his coming uh, victory over uh, the wicked one. And through that, he establishes his kingdom at a literal 1,000-year millennial reign, which we'll look in a minute. A few things happen after the millennial reign, but ultimately, tribulation, all that takes place first. Christ comes, sets foot on earth, and he sets up his millennial kingdom, 1,000, literal 1,000-year reign. That is a pre millennial view and that is where your preacher stands it's where this church as a whole stands um if you're not with it you might need to go back and read your bible but i'm going to show you some things i'm not trying to not, again, not trying to be facetious but the bible will support what what i i'm, I'm going to be showing because we're going to try to stay with the scriptures i am not in any way shape or form a uh an expert in this topic but i am going to share with you um, from from some of the well from the Word of God itself, which will be obvious in many cases, but then also from the teaching and and ten twenty thirty forty fifty years worth of study from many different men of God that uh, that are in uh, believe it or not pre- some preachers can actually be in agreement, uh, but they are in as a whole biblical agreement. They might have little nuances of of opinion on little here little there it's like anything i've told y'all before there are some decorologies that i have i cannot give you dogmatic stand on it but i can tell you logically to me this would make sense but um i'm I'm gonna try to give you as best i can an understanding there are much more efficient preachers uh than i on this topic but i am the one responsible for this body and therefore for this body not to understand and be ready uh, for what God has clearly shown us how to be ready and understand what's to come, for God's people here at Bethel not to understand it and be ready to the best of our ability, at least in the smallest of senses, uh, if we're not ready for what's to come and what it means, then, uh, then I have as a whole, I have failed as a pastor. And so we need to know these things because we're commanded to know these things. And so that's why we're going to study into this. Now with it, I will give you two um, two things we're going to jump in, okay? Two things to keep in mind. Uh, and I was talking to somebody else about this, and I heard one preacher kind of put it this way, and it made a lot of sense, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, as we're going through the study of Revelation, there are things, like as always, there are things we can be dogmatic about because God was very specific. I mean, it's, it's spelled out, it's right there, the time frames, everything is right there. Uh, and then there are some things that, um, that we can't be fully dogmatic about, but when you look at all of the aspects of everything presented, you can get a pretty good understanding of what would be the logical conclusion. And so there will be times when we come to a very logical conclusion, and then there are times when we can take the Bible exactly how it's presented, and you, what you have is you have a theological conclusion. So you have theological and you have logical theological is anything that is theology okay and so theological is logic because god said so all right it it is the natural understanding of what pertains to god's truth and so there are some things that god gives and we get our theology from god himself So there's the 
the theological, and then there are some times that you just have the common sense logical. And so we'll have some things that we present as logically. Here is the conclusion I come to. And then there are some times we can say our theology, our theological basis is right here on what the Bible says. Okay? And so I want you to understand those two things Uh, I'm not going to try to make logical reference to be biblical dogma, uh, but I do want to understand there will be some things we can come to a logical conclusion because of theological teaching, okay? Uh, Does that make sense so far? All right. That's our our basis, all right, our foundation. Let's jump in, read verse 18 and 19 of Revelation chapter 1. And, uh, and then we will begin to look at a couple of things here. So uh, it says here, I, this is God speaking. He's talking to John. And he kind of tells him a little bit about himself. We'll read that in just a minute. But he says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. <laughs> who, who is this? It's not just God in general. This is specifically Jesus Christ speaking to John on the Isle of Patmos. And so uh, he describes himself right there. And, and then, of course, he ends, ends that little statement with amen. It's pretty good when Jesus amens himself. He says, and have the keys of hell and of death. In, in verse number 19, he says, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. There's a little bit of a, of a theological key right there to understanding the progression of the book of Revelation. And, uh, and so it's the things that, uh, that he's seen, the things that, which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. I'll, I'll deal with that here in just a moment. But let me go ahead and pray, and we're going we're gonna to jump in, and I'm going to get you to turn over to another book of the Bible here in just a moment, uh, look at something else, and then we'll, we're going to get to our PowerPoint. It's going to come up, so just hold on. All right? Uh, that's going to be the more faster point, so I'm trying to get down through this first. But let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we, we gather our thoughts and, and put these things together for understanding. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, I pray as we, we get into this, uh, Lord, you know my shortcomings. You know, uh, Lord, um, the amount of information that you've had me glean through and look through and, and so, many, so many things crisscrossing in my mind that could be dealt with or discussed. And I pray that you'd help me, Lord, to know exactly what to say, what not to say. Lord, uh, help us to have a very clear understanding of the, the simple layout uh, of the chronology, the timeline of, of the major events that are to come that you've given us uh, as we look at this tonight to kind of set the stage for talking about these different events specifically. And talking about what they mean specifically for us and, and for the world. And I, I pray that, Lord, in this time, we would maybe clear up confusion, in this time that we would have a chance to, um, Lord, not, not be fearful of what is to come, but to see uh, first an excitement about it, but also uh, may you put a, a level of gravity within us and, uh, and soberness about the situation that we find ourselves in and the short time that we have left to do what you put us here to do. 
Uh, Lord, would you just give us an understanding that only you can give, and we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for it all. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So as we, uh, as we near the literally imminent return uh, of Jesus Christ, we've said before that many God's people are eagerly searching and curious after the events happening with Israel. May I say, uh, when, when I first heard about things that started happening yesterday, it wasn't like, a, oh, wow, I wonder, I wonder what this could be. My first thought was, hmm, I wonder if this could be the lighting of a fuse. Because, let me be honest, even before I, I, I heard Netanyahu's um, uh, statements and some other statements, we, even, uh, we were watching a little bit on the, I hardly ever watch the news, uh, but we were watching some, some news to, and, and watching them interview some people that are in Israel right now, some people are in, in the middle of things going on, every single one of them is saying, we, we don't believe that this is just a one-hit thing. We believe this is just the first phase of what is planned. The next plan, they really believe that Hezbollah is coming from the north. With, with over 10, what was that? They started? Um, but uh, that, and they said they've, they've got 10 times the number of um, missiles uh, and rockets uh, in, in the north than they had in the first attack. And, uh, and, and that could be merely um, a, a second phase that has more to follow after that. But uh, here's, here's what got me, is that uh, more than one of the leaders of Israel have said, we've had enough. We've given ground, we've given up, we've put up with the attacks, we've just let it happen, let them live among us, and we've had enough. This is going to be the end of it. I'm like, hmm. Kind of sounds like uh, even if they pushed them all the way back to where they came from, they're not stopping at their own borders. They're going to go ahead and they're going to go in and they're going to they're take care of business outside of the borders of Israel. Hmm. All right, now most of the world is backing Israel. Stand for Israel. Pray for Israel. What happens when they cross over their own border and start attacking the enemy that attacked them? Go back a few years ago when it happened, they said, you need to stop. You're now an aggressor. It wouldn't take much for those. And by the way, they said, they even said, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but it's, it's tying together. They said, some of the main ones said, the promise of backing today, we know from history, the promise of backing Israel today can change tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, sounds like um, there's a possibility Israel expects a whole bunch of people to be a lot of words until a certain point when nations begin to join together to stop Israel because something needs to be done with these people who overstep their boundaries and easily forget that it wasn't them that started the war. Okay, it, it's happened before, and, uh, and I, I believe it could happen again very easily. This could be merely the lighting of a fuse that leads to a greater issue and a greater issue and a greater issue and a greater issue to the point where you could start having the entire world begin to pick sides. It sound familiar? 
it kind of sounds like the way World War I and World War II took place, kind of sounds like the leading into a lot of chaos and the need for a call for peace and someone who can bring it. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, moving in. All right. But can y'all see where it's like, wow, we just might, honestly, I believe, I believe personally we're living in it. Not the tribulation, but we're living in the last days. There's a difference between the last days and the end times. They're not the same thing. Last days is dealing with last days before Christ pulls out his church. End times is what begins when the church is gone and we head into a a whole other area of prescribed happenings that God has given in the book of Revelation. Uh, Also, you can go to the book of Isaiah, you go to Daniel, you go to Ezekiel. Lots of other books talk about it, but the book of Revelation is the one focused for um, what is prescribed and prophesied to take place. We'll, We'll go back and forth. But as a whole... Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at, at, at the chronology or the, the time frame layout uh, that the Bible gives us uh, when it comes to future events. Now, though it may sound disturbing for the child of God, it, it's a subject that honestly should produce uh, uh, three things as a whole. It should produce anticipation, rejoicing, but at the same time, a gravity of the situation that we find ourselves in in the last let's put it this way, in the last hours that we have left. Preacher, you, you, you mean you think we're not going to wake up tomorrow? Well, I mean, it's a possibility. Possibility, you might hear a trumpet, and that's the last thing you hear, and you're gone, okay? Um, but when I would say the last hours, I'm talking about as, as you take a, an old uh, a, a, um, a sand time, what do you call those? Hourglass, thank you, yeah. Uh, i I forget all them old things. We have too much ta- modern technology anymore. But you take an hourglass, uh, you turn it upside down, and um, here's, here's what one person put it this way, and it's very true. If you ever watched an hourglass or even play in those games, you ever play those games where somebody cheated and they tap on it trying to get it to go down faster? Um, but you, you turn that hourglass over, and, and, and it's draining, it's draining. When it first starts, it looks like it's going fast, but it looks like nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And it, it, you start seeing it lower a little bit, but it's still just nothing's happening, which is when typically that person taps on it, trying to get it to go faster. <clears throat> but it, it's going, it's going, it's going. But then when it gets to that last little bit, it goes from being there to not being there. It goes from, shoop. And, wait, what happened? You know, but that's, that's the way it works. In that last little bit, what, what looked like it took, you know, took forever for that amount to move down before that same amount at the very end is gone in a split second. And that's what I mentioned in our final hours. It's, it, that's how it's going to feel for the church as we, as we approach um, the, re, the return of Christ to meet, to meet him in the air, okay, when we're, we approach the rapture. But um, the anticipation should be there. The, the excitement and rejoicing should be there because we look around and see what's happening. We know it's got to be really near. But that right there in itself should make us think, how much time do I have left to do what God left me to do? Now, as people of God, we are to be aware. The Bible says that we, when it comes to rapture, we'll do this some more. We, can't, we, we cannot know 
the day and the hour. But some people liken that to meaning, you, you know, you can't know anything about the time. For, well, that's, that's error. The Bible teaches us actually that we are to know the times and we should be anticipating Christ's return because you can tell the season, the time is on us. Go with me very quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, let's look at this very quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 11. It says here, but, if, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord, ultimately, we are talking about uh, the time of tribulation the day of the Lord it is that time of trouble that's going to take place and that it's going to come as a thief in the night. Everybody talks about that. Oh, it's going to come as a thief in the night, thief in the night. Everybody's going to be surprised. Uh, everybody? Does the Bible say that everybody is to be shocked and surprised and caught off guard? Uh, no. Uh, and it goes on to say, uh, in verse number three, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape, but ye. Now, here, the big three-letter word, but. So here's what they're going to face. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So all that's going to happen, tribulation time, all that's going to happen that's been prophesied of God to take place, it might take a lost world by surprise and they're going to be shocked, but God's people should see it coming. Now, we'll deal with it more later, but I believe fully the Bible teaches the church is not present during the tribulation. I'll show you many evidences of that later, not tonight. But if the church is out of here and the day of the Lord, the day of his judgment, the day, the day of tribulation that comes, if, if that's going to come and we're to be aware of it on, at hand, which means we should be aware that knowing that the church is caught out before it starts means that if we see it's about to start, we can also see we're about to be out of here. If you know Christ is your personal savior. Again, it's not just being in the church. That, uh, that gets you received out of the time of tribulation. Uh, it is being in Christ, being a child of God. But, uh, but he said it's, it's not to overtake you. Verse 5, uh, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. Ye are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. In other words, uh, night owls, I can do that pretty easy. But, but he's saying watch and be sober, meaning at all times realizing at any moment, at any moment, at any moment, it could happen. We could hear that trump, we could be caught out. Verse number seven, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. He's saying this is not you, this is not the way you're supposed to be. It says, but let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, just give you a little hint here. 
That's part of the proof of the church being gone. God has not appointed us to wrath. There is also your, your um, two, two main versions. You have pre- and post-tribulation um, rapture mentalities. Um, the pre-tribulational rapture is what we believe in. We're caught out before the tribulation happens. Post means that we're, you know, the church it goes all the way through the tribulation and, and is caught out. You also have mid-trib. Mid-tribs, they like to call themselves pre-Raphians. But mid-trib means they believe we go through the first three and a half years of the tribulation, then the church is called out, and then the worst of the tribulation takes place, the great tribulation, after the church is called out halfway through because of this verse right here, that we are not appointed unto God's wrath. And so therefore, since the last three and a half years of the tribulation is known as the great wrath of the Lord... They say, well, you see right there, we go through the first half, but, but we don't go through the last because we're not appointed under wrath. God's going to call us out. Well, here's the problem. The entire seven years of tribulation is called the wrath of God. And there's also the great wrath that takes place. So uh, if we're not appointed unto the wrath of God, if we're not appointed unto his wrath, uh, that means that, uh, it, it, well, let me do it again. Um, where, uh, let's see, God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's not necessarily dealing with the salvation, eternal salvation. It's talking about the saving from something. Well, what would we be saved from if we're raptured? Jesus Christ himself comes to gather his church, those that are in him, those that he know are, knows are his, and he pulls them out, saving them from the wrath to come. Which is why we believe Jesus Christ comes, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive will remain, be caught up to meet them in the air, meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He comes, we meet him in the air. By Jesus himself, we are brought out and saved from the wrath that God has not appointed us to. Rapture before tribulation. All right, that's just one evidence. We'll go on and do some others. But it goes on to say in verse number 10, uh, talk about who, who Jesus, what Jesus is this, uh, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, uh, we shall live together with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. All right. Um, wherefore, comfort yourselves. Now, here's the reason. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to talk about this stuff. I don't think we need to get into fights over it because there's lots of opinions. I think you stay away from that. And Unfortunately, I have stayed away from this stuff for a long time. Why? Because on these kind of things, uh, I know I can get sucked in very easily to doing a lot of research and a lot of study. When I get in on something, that's my wife. When I get in on something, I get in on something. And, uh, and I, I have too many preacher friends that got so deep into it, they spend all their time arguing over who's right and what's going to happen. And they spend very little time in actually trying to reach people before it happens. And so here's the thing. If the knowledge you have about the end times doesn't cause you to do anything about the end times coming, then the knowledge you have is useless. It's supposed to drive us, motivate us. That's the whole purpose of knowing about it, talking about it, encouraging one another. Verse number 11, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. We have a command to know, understand, and operate according to the fact that it is on us now. It is here. we got to be ready. So as we begin to investigate uh, the contents of the book of Revelation, 
not in super, super detail because honestly, I don't, I don't think we have enough years left to be able to spend all that time going in great detail. I'm hoping to give us a very concise but simple uh, and, and easy to understand uh, idea of, of what these things are and how it works through this process. And, uh, but it's important to remember that the, the events of the book of Revelation are set in a chronological order, okay? An order in which you see the events listed is the order in which events take place. And uh, that is a key to understanding the book of Revelation. And now, though, understand, there, there are a few times when there are pauses in the, in the chapters and in the events taking place, there are pauses where God gives insight to things to come and then goes back to things that are technically happening as John's watching it, okay? So there are pauses at times, but as a whole, the book of Revelation does go in chronological order of the events in how he sees it is the way in which they happen in order. It makes it a little bit easier to understand as you're reading through the book, and so we'll, we'll lay that out. Let me go back, go back with me real quick, Revelation chapter 1, and then I'm going to show you the PowerPoint, okay? Uh, go ahead and throw that PowerPoint up there uh, for the starting of it, <clears throat> and um, I'm going to test this out and see if it's working. But Revelation chapter 1, uh, let me, I said I was going to read the, let me see if it's going to work here. Um, got it. Uh, okay, got that on. Laser's working. Yep. <laughs> it works. Okay, excellent. I like it when things work. All right, so Revelation chapter 1, um, let me just read real quick the first chapter as we go through. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Um, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. By the way, one preacher said it this way and I agree with him because <clears throat> it's right there. This is a theological understanding um, that chapter one, the book of Revelation is, is the one book of the Bible where reading and knowing and following the, the emphasis and the motivation behind the knowledge of the prophecy, uh, it is the one book of the Bible where it comes with a blessing on God's people to read it, to know it, and to follow the truth of it. Okay? And so is it important to know what is to come? Yes, is it important for God's people to understand? Yes, because the motivation it brings for us is an act of obedience to follow in knowing what's coming, knowing what I should do, and knowing why God has left me here until he calls me out. And so it is a blessing. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. It comes with a blessing strictly written from God. Now, that's not a logical thing. That's a theological thing because it's right there in the Bible. Uh, going in verse number four, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which uh, is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ 
who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Well, that, that's, a, that's a mouthful right there. Um, don't have time to stop, but it's amazing. Right there, I mean, it's the whole gospel just laid out for the churches. Um, verse number six, and, and uh, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, you can stop right there and preach a whole series of sermons, but we don't have time. We're not, that's not our purpose tonight, so we're going to move on. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. John's getting excited. And then here is Christ speaking, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, uh, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, not saying he's going through tribulation, but um, he has already been in some personally. Uh, John has already been boiled in oil. They've tried to kill him. He wouldn't die. And since he wouldn't die, uh, even after being boiled, and can you imagine being boiled in oil and you're not dead? Uh, imagine, people think he's on the Isle of Patmos. Oh, that must have been rough. That island probably wasn't the best island. No, think about it. He'd been boiled in oil. Now he's on the Isle of Patmos, and I guarantee you they didn't give him anything to help with the pain. They want him to suffer until he dies. He's on the Isle of Patmos. And by the way, I doubt they gave him food and water and everything else. And I mean, he's there because he wouldn't die in the first place. They want him to go ahead and die this way. But at least they don't have to witness it. They just leave him there and they, our hands are free from it. You know, what happens, happens. And so here he is. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been boiled in oil. Uh, uh, John is, is not in a great situation physically. He's been in tribulation in that sense, uh, in his own way. And it says, um, but he goes on and talks about in verse number nine, and, and in the kingdom and, and uh, patience of Jesus Christ was in the, uh, in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So why was he there? Uh, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He wouldn't shut up. He wouldn't stop preaching. He wouldn't stop proclaiming the truth. He wouldn't stop saying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, died on the cross, and you must trust in him and him alone if you ever hope to have salvation and forgiveness and be before God for eternity. And they said, if you won't shut up, we'll shut you up. So he's on the Isle of Patmos because he wouldn't stop when he was told to stop preaching the gospel. Verse number 10 says, I was, and this is a, a great convicting thing, all by himself, and yet he still, as he put it, was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, he still observed what belonged to God, even when there was nobody around. Now, that's character. Ain't nobody around to say, no, you, you know you're supposed to be giving God the day that belongs to him, right? He knew what day was the Lord's day, and he made sure he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And when he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, the Lord met with him. And then all this comes from that time when John was able to be guided by the Spirit of God and be seen, uh, be, be shown things and see things that no man has seen prior or after what John saw. And, and so 
He says, uh, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, um, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, uh, <clears throat> here is an evidence of real worship. Not, oh, no, okay. Here's real worship, you ready? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Why? He was unworthy to lift his head and look up. You see that consistently throughout scripture by those who really saw God and worshiped him. They fell to his feet with their head face down. It says, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And had the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And from there goes into verse 2 and verse 3, deals with the churches and all that he sends. We'll look at them later in greater detail, uh, but he deals with the churches specifically. I believe in a literal sense, but also in a figurative sense. I believe it's both. It's not one or the other. I believe they, they were literal churches. They received literal letters. They had literal problems. Or for Smyrna, he didn't have anything bad to say about Smyrna. Uh, they were persecuted. But um, with all the others, they were literal places that received literal letters that were literally encouraged by John himself, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I believe they're not only literal, I believe they were also uh, given as a figurative understanding of the church age layout, you might say, the digression of the church age and the things that we've seen, which would make us, if we were to look at today, we are in what would be called the last of the churches, the Laodicean lazy church age. That is where we are, okay? And so I believe it is a figurative understanding to know where we are at as the church, but it started off originally and initially as literal places that still get to be understood today in showing us uh, the ages of the church age uh, as we've gone through it. Now, that's a whole bunch of stuff. We'll get there later. Uh, don't want to bog you down with that. But as a whole, all of this is revealed to John. And let me give you this. I'm going to show you the PowerPoint, okay? So here we go. I know y'all waiting for it. I want to get to it. We're going to in one second. Revelation 1.19, uh, John is told to write down three specific things. The things which thou hast seen, that's things that he's already seen take place, okay? Uh, which chapter one as a whole is, the, is dealing with 
uh, the past of things, and he, he kind of lays out some of that um, in, in all those things. So he writes that which he has seen, and then the things which are, which is going to be the present, and he's talking about the churches, the church age, all right? And so chapter 2 and chapter 3, breakdown of Revelation to be the things that are, that's the present, and then the things which shall be hereafter. That is chapter 4 to chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, and that is the prophetic things that are to come. And so you have the past, the present, and the future to come in the book of Revelation. Um, John is told to write the things that thou hast seen, the things that are, and the things uh, which shall be hereafter. And so these, uh, these things are, are laid out for us in the book of Revelation as John was told to. Now, let me go ahead and show you this, and, and this is kind of the, we're going to wrap up tonight, okay? Uh, I've gone through a lot of reading and stuff. But uh, here's what y'all been waiting for and uh, probably what you came to church for tonight. But, all right. So the biblical end time timeline. This line, if this line right here was our, our time frame, okay, uh, then what we'd have to start with is you're going to have the, uh, the present church age. That's where we're at right now. We are in the church age, uh, the age you want to call the age of grace. But we are in the time frame of the church that is, by the way, built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. It is his church, and this church age is a time frame of those who know Christ as their Savior to share the gospel, spread the gospel, reach the lost, and, and replicate what has happened in my life uh, and give that opportunity to somebody else. And once they have been reached, we are, we are told not only to reach the lost, but we are then told to see them baptized, following the Lord and believers' baptism. And then we are told to disciple and to teach them after they are saved, baptized, taught, and through the teaching, they learn to then be a witness themselves. Okay? And so we're to simply continue replicating what Christ has done in us and give others the same opportunity. That is the church age. That is where we're at. The next major event on the timeline that we are given in God's word, and we'll talk about uh, in the next opportunity we come together on this, uh, is going to be the rapture of the church. There's nothing in the way of stopping that other than God just waiting to when the Father says, go get them. Right? There is literally nothing yet to happen. Everything is in place. Everything is ready. Even those things that are prophesied, like the temple, can't get there right now, but even those things are ready, waiting, prepared, done. They have it all together. They are itching to set it up and start operating. There is nothing that would hold back at all. The rapture is the next thing, and it is imminent all right so we are as a whole we are right about uh, there okay so we we are right there um and uh, just how close we are to it happening i can't say exactly but we may not be here tomorrow okay but the rapture of the church now after the rapture you've got two periods of time it's actually one but it's happening in two places you have that which is happening on earth that is the seven-year tribulation. And at the same time, you have that which is taking place in heaven, which we've already talked about one of those, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. The rapture takes place. The, then those which are raptured, those which 
have been taken out will stand before Christ in judgment of the things we have done, the deeds we have done, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble are the six categories in which all that we have done since becoming a child of God will be judged and it'll be judged by fire and only that which can survive the fire which was pure and true in reward, only that will survive, only that will be left, everything else will be lost in the fire of God's judgment or should say Christ's judgment. And so the judgment seat of Christ is the next event after the rapture in heaven. Now, as you go down the timeline, before the return of Jesus Christ, before the second coming, and he sets foot on earth and rules and reigns, all that kind of stuff, before that happens, you'll actually have the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the timeline, the marriage of of the Lamb actually is mentioned and is talked about taking place prior to Christ returning and setting foot on the Mount of Olives And coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the marriage supper takes place in heaven. Now, during the time of all that, again, what else goes on up there? I don't know. I'm not quite sure. There's not a a lot of description given to us about things going on in heaven as there is as much description of things that's going to happen here on earth. But we do know judgment seat of Christ. We do know marriage supper of the Lamb. How long do those two things last? I don't know. We'll find out. But while that's going on, we know that there is, to begin with, after the rapture, there will be a time of a three and a half year span, which in some places is called, portions of scripture is called the beginning of sorrows. That first three and a half years, it is seven, full seven years of tri- tribulation. Uh, I will tell you this, the seven years of tribulation does not start with the rapture. It actually start the rapture is not the key to the starting of the of the tribulation. The rapture is a trigger, but what comes after the rapture is a peace accord. There is a peace accord that takes place. When that peace accord is signed, that is, an, is the moment. That is the moment immediately when that is signed and that peace agreement is agreed upon immediately. A clock starts and seven years begin according to God's word. And, uh, and so how long is it from the moment that the church is out to mass chaos taking place to everything leading up to finally being able to gather all the heads of the, of the nations or whoever's left around to go ahead and say, hey, here's a man that has the answer of peace. Let's follow him. And he said, I've got the answer. Here's the paper. Let's all sign the peace accords. How long is it going to take? I don't know. But I guarantee you they're not going to do it the same day the rapture happens. There's going to be mass chaos. There's going to be lots of things going on. People are going to be hysterical. Y'all ever been down, anybody here ever been down south when a hurricane hits? Do y'all know what happens when a hurricane hits? Stores get looted. Homes get broken into. People start acting like animals. It's every man for himself. Until some law and order can be reformed. And that's really, I believe, that is what's going to take place. The rapture may not be the only element going on. Look at what's happening in Israel right now. The rapture may not be the only thing going on. There could be very possibly a lot of war happening. There could be a lot of things really heating up and things really building up. And then the rapture just makes it, what's going on? Millions of people gone. 
Somebody has some kind of new weapon we don't know about and vaporize millions of people. What's going on? And, uh, and I believe there's going to be mass chaos. I believe it's going to take some time for, for people to come together. I believe it's going to get wild. I believe it's going to be dangerous. I believe that, honestly, the, those that are left are going to be fending for themselves and neighbors are not going to be neighborly. I think, I, I, I th- you know, people getting ready for doomsday and all kinds of things. <laughs> you get ready all you want. If you're still here, it ain't going to be fun. But at some point, at some point, they're going to gather together, and at some point, they're going to be able to put together a peace accord, and when that peace accord happens and they find their man to follow, they're going to form that one-world government, they're going to form that one-world currency, they're going to form that one-world religion, and it's all going to be under the umbrella of mankind is going to be destroyed if we can't find some way to unify. We have got to, instead of being diverse, instead of being individuals, we have got to be one world. And there's going to be a man with the answer, and he's going to be called the Antichrist. And they're going to follow him. And he's going to get them to sign a peace accord with Israel and and, and the world. And that peace accord is going to start the, the clock of seven years Three, first three and a half years, the beginning of sorrows. What breaks that first three and a half years is uh, the middle time frame. It's called the abomination of desolation. Very simply, the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist goes into the temple and he goes into the holy of holies of the temple and he takes what some believe to be possibly even a statue of himself claiming to be God and desiring to be worshipped, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. And he is going to take that and he is going to desecrate the temple, the, the holy of holies. And in that moment, Israel's going to realize he's not the Messiah. And at that moment, it's really going to get bad. I'm going to show you in a minute what, what takes place. i got to hurry. This time is going by so fast. So the great tribulation comes the last three and a half years. After the Antichrist really reveals who he is, great tribulation is coming, and there's going to be a second reason for that. Uh, i got to hold off. You're going to see it in the next slide, okay? Second reason for great tribulation, because yes, God's wrath is going to get hotter. Yes, it's going to get worse. Uh, but Israel now in the great tribulation, Israel herself, the people of Israel are going to be the targets. Those that were supposedly supposed to have a seven-year peace accord, three and a half years, they're not going to have peace much in the first three and a half years, but they're going to be attacked and tried to be decimated by the Antichrist himself during the last three and a half years. Satan is going to be there, and Satan himself is going to lead the charge as well to try to eliminate and destroy all of Israel, every Jew off the face of the earth. And it's going to be a massive attack. It's going to be a massive, great tribulation. What happens after that? Well, uh, the return of Christ. At the end of the seven years, what marks the end of the seven years? Well, when the seven years are done, uh, after all the judgments, after all the things that take place, Christ is going to come back. Uh, the, the marriage supper of the lambs already happened, and Christ comes back. He puts foot on the Mount of Olives. There's going to be a great battle take place. I'll show you that in a minute. Y'all probably already know the name. Great battle is going to take place, 
And at that moment, he's coming back to rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. They're going to try to rise up against him, but they will fail. With the word of his mouth, the sword's going to come out. He's going to speak, and the battle will be over. Does he come back with an army? Yes, he does. But as I've said many times, we are merely the cheerleaders on the sidelines, cheering on the one who is victor in the entire battle. It's kind of like Jericho all over again. We really don't do anything but shout and yell and holler, Woo-hoo, go on, go get him. And he does everything. The battle is his. And it's over with before they even know what happened. And so he comes back once the battle's over. Show you a minute. So a couple other things take place. So what next thing after that, after the return of Jesus Christ, is the millennium. That is the one literal 1,000 year reign when Jesus Christ will be King of Kings, Lord of Lords, be the perfect judge of all the earth for a thousand years. And yet, there will still be people born. And there will still be sin. But may I say, there won't be sin by those who come back with him because we are sealed, we are done. But there will be sin by those who are born, those who lived in that thousand years on this earth. The, the, the earth humans, okay? <clears throat> the, they, they will still deal with sin, but hey, here's an interesting fact. <clears throat> Satan won't be roaming to and fro tempting man. Man will be living by his natural sin nature, but he will not have the tempter placing the temptations to the level we've experienced in this time. That's an interesting thought. Why is it that man does not rise up in a thousand years and try to overthrow the king? Well, there's no leader to tempt them to do so. There's a desire to do so, but there's no one to tempt them to do so. How do you know there's a desire, preacher? Because after a thousand years, Satan is loosed. And within a very, very short period of time, he gathers the entire world. And an army that you can't count like the sands of the sea. He's literally going to show up and and just say, hey, I can lead you to overthrow him. And they're going to say, yes, somebody. And they're going to fall for his temptation. And they're going to follow him to their doom. And that'll be the last of it. But that's right here, okay? That's Satan's final defeat. After the millennium, thousand years, he's bound. After a thousand years, he's loose for a short season. Takes him no time at all to gather all the people of the earth who actually hated God, did not want him to be king, but did not say anything because he's in control and nobody was there to lead them. Now he comes back, he leads them, brings them all to a battle, and there will be the final battle. And after that battle, uh, some things happen. I'll show you in a minute. But uh, after that comes the great white throne judgment. We already talked about that. All the lost of every generation that has ever lived, all the lost are brought up and are brought before the king and before God himself. And their names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. And he has no choice but to cast them from his presence into the lake of fire. That is the great white throne judgment. At that point, after the great white throne judgment, we enter into what is known as eternity. Old things are passed away. All things become completely new. We step into eternity. Sin is annihilated. Sin is done away with. Death is locked away. Hell is locked away. Satan is locked away. Everything is gone. There is no more. And it, God brings back what he originally intended, never to be tainted or messed up again. Boy, ain't that going to be a good day. But Here's the last thing, okay? So you have that timeline. 
Let me quickly just give you, if you're trying to write this stuff down, good luck. All right, I'm going to give you some handouts next time. I got, I got some really neat handouts I want to give to you. They're just not ready yet, and so I'll give them to you later. But here's what takes place. Okay, so in these, it might be hard to see, um, but here's just a, a quick rundown of what happens during the, the first three and a half years, second three and a half years, millennium. Here's some basic key elements. In the first three and a half years, they're not necessarily in order of when they show up, but in the first three and a half years, you will have what is called seven seal judgments, and there are seven trumpet judgments. And so there's 14 different judgments that take place. Uh, God does different things. It's kind of, kind of like the 10 plagues over Egypt. Uh, there's going to be plagues. There's going to be horrible things take place. And this is in the first three and a half years. It is God's wrath the whole time, okay? It just gets hotter and hotter as it gets towards the end of it. For first three and a half years, there are seven seal judgments. There are seven trumpet judgments. Then also... Uh, this is where you have 144,000 witnesses. Uh, very quick little thought here. I want you to understand. Um, during the tribulation period, there will be people who will come to know Christ and trust in Christ by faith. And they will not believe in the lies going on. They will. You say, well, how, how in the world? I, one preacher put it this way. I love it. Even during the time of God's wrath on this earth, he still plants a seed of hope. Even in a time when God is pouring out his judgment, he still gives a chance for men to repent. And how does he do that? All, the church is gone. You really think that God only has us to do the job? If we're not here, nobody can be saved. They weren't saved by us in the first place. It's not my gospel in the first place. It's his gospel. He's the one who died for them. So the Bible says there's actually three major players in the area of preaching. There's 144,000 witnesses that God himself, I believe Jewish uh, men, uh, uh, that were Jews, unmarried, uh, and, and, and Bible talks about them. We'll, we'll deal with them later. But 144,000 witnesses that God seals personally with his mark. Oh, by the way, didn't you know that Satan actually is nothing but a counterfeiter? He never had an original idea ever. Everything Satan does is to be opposite of something God's already done. So when the mark of the beast comes into play, do you realize God has already done a mark of himself on his? 144,000, and he seals them with his mark, which, which protects them supernaturally as they preach the gospel, and they will preach truth during that first three and a half years. But there's also uh, the, the battle, and I, th I think Brother Bob and I were talking about this the other day, um, we were right and wrong at the same time in, in one area. I'll show, explain it to you. But the believe it is often believed by, by most um, theologians that the battle of Gog and Magog happens in the first three and a half years and possibly towards the end of the first three and a half years. That battle of Gog and Magog is a massive uprising against Israel. And I believe we could be seeing some of the first little fires of what could bring up a, think about it, if the rapture happens any day, three and a half years is not that much time. 
And so Gog and Magog being a, a major gathering of nations uh, to come against Israel and God will defend them and God will, I mean, there, there's some massive things, and I can't go on into it now, but some massive things gonna happen and this earth is going to be shook like it's never been shook before. Places over in the Middle East are gonna split apart because of the shaking that takes place and God is going to destroy Gog and Magog, the, the individuals that are mentioned, very specific nations that will come against Israel in, in basically a treaty that they don't keep their side of it. They come against them. But the, the Antichrist and all hasn't yet necessarily fully sided with these other nations yet. But through some believe that through the, the mass chaos and the destruction that takes place, is when it opens the door for the Antichrist to step up and his final ascension to full control. Because you have now nations where their leaders have been completely destroyed and they're all in turmoil. There is no leadership and here it is. He's waiting. Just kind of get this thing started and let them fight amongst themselves while I'm standing back here. And then once they beat each other up and nobody's able to lead, then he'll rise to his final ascension and he'll go into the temple of the Holy Holies and say, I am God. I am the leader. I am the one in control. And he'll more than likely, possibility, put a statue of himself, say, I am God, worship me. Israel's going to realize they've been fooled. They've been attacked now. Now they've been fooled. He's a liar. They're hopeless. All of a sudden, they have no home. They're chased from their home. Lots of stuff happens at the three and a half year mark. But Gog and Magog is believed to be right towards the end of that three and a half years. And then comes the fact of the middle part, right in the middle, the abomination of desolation. And, and, and here's the thing that, that kind of makes the great tribulation a great tribulation. Not only do you have God's wrath heating up, but this is the point at which the Bible says that Satan, three and a half years in, Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven permanently. You do realize that the accuser of the brethren has the ability to stand before God right now and make accusation. Think about this. For the first three and a half year period here on earth, the judgment seat of Christ and all going on, judgment seat of Christ. Do you know that through the judgment seat of Christ, if this time, showing this time frame, that during the judgment seat of Christ time frame, the accuser of the brethren has the ability and potential to be present to make accusation. It's not until the halfway mark when God says, you're out of here, we're about to have a supper and you're not invited. And he sends him, I found it interesting, he sends him with his angels. I kind of wondered about that. I, my first inclination was Satan, you know, had his bodyguards around him. But then it hit me. Satan's a counterfeiter. He copycats everything that God has. What does God have around his throne? He has angels crying, holy, holy, holy. Well, why would Satan go, go to, the, to the place where God is, to God's presence, and not bring his own entourage? Crying, you're better, you're better, you're better. We promise. Think about it. 
So Satan and his angels, however many there are, are cast at that midway point. They are cast to earth. Never again will Satan stand before God. He's, it's done. It's over. So he is cast. And the Bible says that even Satan's wrath. Why is it great tribulation? Because God's wrath doesn't stop, but now it's coupled with Satan's wrath all at the same time. Well, you got, you got the, 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 the God of all gods. You got the creator of all things and his wrath. And then you have the one who is second in power and every other way. And he's bringing his wrath. That's a bad time. Double dose. It's kind of like, kind of like uh, Pharaoh saying, hey, magicians, can y'all make frogs too? I mean, here it is. Moses done brought all these frogs out. What can y'all do? And they doubled on top of it. And they had double more frogs than they had the first time. Well, that was real smart. I guarantee you having double frogs was way more fun. But just, just think about it. Yeah, it is great tribulation, great wrath. Why? You got two wraths hitting you at the same time. And one, one still loves man and his wrath on sin. The other one hates man to begin with and is just wrath out of wrath. No mercy. So you have Satan cast from earth. And by the way, midway point, that is when the mark of the beast comes as well. The Bible does lay out uh, scripture. I always thought at the very beginning. I always thought, you know, hey, rapture happens. All this tribulation starts. Everybody's deceived and take, people are going to take the mark of the beast. The Bible doesn't teach that. Mark of the beast is coming when Satan himself is cast down. He brings with him his counterfeit mark. God already had marked some, his 144,000 of preachers, proclaimers of truth. Satan's going to try to mark everyone to follow him. He's a counterfeiter, copycat. But during the last three and a half years, you have two witnesses that come. Not going to go into all of it, don't have time. You have two witnesses that come. Um, and, and they will preach, they will be killed, they will rise three, days, three and a half days later, and, uh, and, and then God will bring them on home. But they will be two witnesses preaching the gospel as well. So there's your second preachings going on, and that starts during the, believed to be in the second, second three and a half years. You also have the vile or the bold judgments, some of the last judgments that take place. And then after the vile and bold judgments, you end up with Christ returning and the battle of Armageddon. And that is when the world tries to overthrow this invader. He's come, this, this alien invasion with this big old alien army. Here they come to take over the world. Let's call the Avengers. Hollywood, by the way, who do you think gives man these ideas for all these movies that seem to constantly flow in one idea of how the end is going to take place? Have you ever noticed that it always ends up with earth winning. Think about that. It always ends with man defeating the alien invasion. Uh, do you think that man is going to have an idea that we're going to win this battle? Hmm. And yet God's going to speak and it's over. But that's the battle of Armageddon. Then after the battle of Armageddon, Bible says the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. You never see them again. They're done. Lake of fire, end point, end game, over. That's the Antichrist and the false prophet. But Satan himself, himself is cast uh, and bound with chains in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. 
a millennium. That's the millennial reign of Christ. So after Armageddon, Satan is bound. He's cast to the bottomless pit. Then God sets up his kingdom and Christ rules and reigns as king of kings and lord of lords for a thousand years. And at the end of a thousand years, Satan will be loosed for a short season. He will deceive an army. Basically, my opinion, we'll get to it later. I believe he deceives those who have decided to choose Christ and follow God with their heart will already be, it already be settled, already be done. When Satan is loosed, he will pull every human being left of every age. He will pull every single one of them into his army to rise against God one more time. And God will reign, as the Bible says, will reign fire down and consume them. Why is it when the Bible talks about the great white throne judgment, he says, and I saw the dead, small and great. Why didn't he say, I saw the dead and the living, small and great? Because after that last battle, there is no more living. Every person is either God's and in his presence and protected, or they are all dead because God rained fire of judgment on their uprise with Satan. So every person brought before the great white throne judgment has died. There's no human beings at that point left on earth alive. It has been settled. They are either God's or they have died apart from salvation. They have died in their sins and they are brought before in the great white throne judgment. When Satan's battle, when the last final battle is over, Satan loses. He is cast at that point into the lake of fire. He doesn't come before God. He doesn't plead his case. He doesn't even go, he doesn't come before the white, great white throne judgment. There's no, judge, no great white throne judgment for him. It's already been judged. It's already been settled. He is taken from that battle. He is thrown straight into the lake of fire and he joins the antichrist and the false prophet in the final place of, of punishment for them. But that's when the great white throne judgment happens, and that's the final judgment uh, on all of the lost of every generation. Then we enter into eternity, the new heaven, new earth. All tears are wiped away. That is your overall timeline. Anybody confused? Okay. <laughs> I hope not. It's pretty simple to follow once you get down to it. Now, we're going to start zooming in. We're going to zoom in on the rapture and why we believe in pre-tribulational rapture the next time we come together with this. And we're going to zoom in. Why? Because it's the next thing to happen, and I hope we even have time to get there. I really do. Um, but I believe what we're seeing today is letting us know God is true. His word is true. And you're getting to witness the precursor of what is going to bring about everything we're looking at right here. It is at hand. The end of Revelation, uh, uh, the, book, the chapter, chapter 22, the Lord said, Behold, I come quickly. But we're not supposed to be caught off guard. Child of God, we're supposed to be aware of the seasons. We're supposed to be aware of the times. We're supposed to know it's at hand, time to be sober, time to be, have great gravity about our lives, 
time to understand it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about his word. It's not about uh, my future plans and what I want to try to get accomplished. I understand you can't, you can't hope, you know, think, well, tomorrow's never going to happen, so I'm just going to give up today. <laughs> no, you, you got to live like God's going to give us tomorrow to do more of the job he left us to do. But we have to understand that we might not have tomorrow. He might come back tonight. We are right there. And I'll ask you that, boy, whoo, man, mm. I have been long tonight. I am sorry, but um, here's what I want you to understand. This is not about just having knowledge. If knowledge of this is nothing more than just, hey, look what we know. Let's go home. It's useless. This right here should drive us. I don't have much time to share the gospel. Ones I love don't have much time left to accept Christ before being faced with the tribulation. May I say, I believe they might have a chance to see the truth, understand the truth, and realize that they waited too long and they've missed the rapture I believe they'll have a chance to make it right if they'll believe and trust in him. But what they've missed out on is being removed from what's to come. That's a pretty harsh punishment. What's worse is if they continue to reject him and they end up going ahead and stepping into eternity, rejecting Christ. This should bring a great sense of of soberness for us. Who is it that God wants us to witness to? May I say, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior and you're playing a game, <clears throat> you might want to go ahead and rethink about how long you have to play the game. Because his return for his church is nigh at hand. That which comes after is not desirous by any measure. Let's not fail of the knowledge we have. And we'll, we'll gain some more as we go through, but let's not just have knowledge. Let's do something with it. Reach the lost at any cost while we still have time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've given.